Um, so yeah, so we have uh, a partnership going on with Convoy of Hope, and what we did is we got a literal semi-truck, 28 pallets worth of food and goods that we are going to distribute to the community uh, on November 5th. So circle your calendar for two days. You got November 5th, which is our day of distribution, but November 2nd, which is a Wednesday night, we are asking everyone to come on out because we are having what we are calling our pack and pray night. Wednesday night is always our prayer meeting, and there's not anything different on that aspect because we are still going to pray. But before we do, we need help. We need everybody to come out, and we're going to break down these 28 pallets and put together the grocery bags that we're going to be handing out to people within our community. So our goal is about three-fourths of that night, we're going to have stations all over the place. It's a great opportunity for everyone to come out. Awana is still going to be happening, so our children are going to be taken care of. But teenagers all the way up through senior citizen, our English service, our Spanish service, everybody's going to be able to come out and we are going to spend time packing, putting together. I've done this a few years when we would do it with our youth. I'm not going to lie. It's fun. It's fun to just get together and serve alongside one each other and, and just pack everything out. And then on top of that, after we pack everything, or at least what we can for that night, we're going to take time and pray over every bag. We're going to believe that God is going to use those opportunities that we are giving to serve our community, to bless them, to also have an anointing on that bag, that something would move as we hand that bag off, that it wouldn't just be uh, you know, a box of, what is that, cinnamon toast crunch rolls or, or soda crackers, or there is a lot of energy drinks back there. Um, but we would be distributing hope, right? And so I just want to remind you on those two fronts, November 5th, it's our normal prayer meeting time, so make sure that you come on out for that on, I'm sorry, November 2nd, Wednesday, it's our normal prayer meeting time. November 5th, we'll be distributing from 12 to 2. If you're volunteering, we'd love to have you here by 11 so we can be all set up. Uh, I know Ariel was asking me, like, what are we doing to advertise to the community? I'd be like, listen, just to be very honest, when the community sees it, they just show up. We've done it for two years. We've never had extra food. We've never made it to two hours. We usually run out within about an hour and a half because one, there's a need out there. But two, when people see the people of God active, people want to jump in and get in on that. And so this is a wonderful opportunity. It doesn't matter your skill set. You can be the worst singer. We ain't asking you to sing. You, you can't preach. I ain't asking you to preach. Can you hand someone a bag? Can you smile? Can you hold the sign? I mean, we will figure out something for you to do. Um, but this is just a great opportunity for us to do what we've been talking about this whole month, which is be a neighbor, right? If you're uh, new to this church or if you just come back uh, for a while, we've been in this series called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And uh, if, if you've heard from me or if you've heard the sermons, you'll know already that Mr. Rogers is the one who really coined that phrase and has made it popular in our lexicon. And if you're of a certain age, you grew up watching Mr. Rogers, maybe like I did. And I was always just a huge fan of Mr. Rogers. His demeanor, the way he came in, uh, trolley was like my favorite little thing when trolley would come out in the back. Uh, you know, all of that was something that I absolutely adored growing up. And so uh, let me give you just just a quick uh, few uh, facts about Mr. Rogers, because I did find the man fascinating. And as I grew up and I began to dig in, I began to find out some more things. Like, I think a lot of us grew up thinking Mr. Rogers wore those cardigans to hide tattoos because he was a sniper in the Korean War. Remember those rumors that you would hear? Like, he was a Navy SEAL. That's not true. None of that is true. Uh, but here's some things that are true. He was an Ivy League dropout. 
He actually went to Dartmouth for one year, dropped out to go and study piano, graduated with a degree in that, uh, which worked in his favor because he wrote all the music on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He personally wrote every one of those songs, over 200 songs, and he wrote also children's operas and a bunch of other stuff on top of that. He was an ordained Presbyterian minister. Um, and speaking of those cardigans, every one of his cardigans was knit by his mother. His mom knit every, I'm like, you can't get more wholesome than that. That's just not even right. His mom knit every one of those cardigans, and one of them, a red one, is donated at the Smithsonian. He said because it didn't look good on camera, the cameras wouldn't pick it up well. So he donated that one to the Smithsonian. Um, there's a number of like really interesting facts. Uh, for example, for the last 30 years of his life, he weighed 143 pounds, and he weighed himself every day. Every day he would wake up at 5 in the morning. He would pray for a couple of hours for all his friends, family's needs. He would uh, eat a light breakfast. He would uh, go through his study. He would sit down and write back to every single letter that was written to him. So every day he would sit down and he would correspond to everyone who wrote to him. And then he would go on a swim, he would swim a few laps, and he would weigh himself to make sure he was at 143 pounds. He said he liked that number because it takes one letter to say I, three letters to, or four letters to say love, and three letters to say you. So 143 was his way of saying I love you. I'm just like, you're not even fair, Mr. Rogers. That, that bar is too high. Mr. Rogers was so loved and esteemed. Let me give you two stories. The first one is my favorite, right? This is so good. Mr. Rogers drove a basic Impala. They would film in a studio in Pittsburgh, and he drove a basic Impala. One day, his Impala was stolen from the studio lot. And so he goes to the police, and he files a police report. And because he's Mr. Rogers, that eventually gets on the news. The next day, the car is back in the exact same spot with a note on the windshield that said, we are so sorry. If we knew it was you, we would have never took it. <laughs> That's how esteemed and loved Mr. Rogers is. So much so that one time in New York City, he was getting ready to trying to go to a meeting and traffic was too much and he wasn't going to be able to make it a time in car. So he was forced to use the subway. And so he tried to sneak on the subway train, hoping to not be recognized. But come on, he's Mr. Rogers. He's everybody's neighbor. And all of a sudden, one at a time, the entire train broke out with, won't you be my neighbor? One at a time, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. And the entire train sang his theme song. Why? Well, I think everyone felt like their neighbor was Mr. Rogers. He was their neighbor. He made you feel like that. And I think in part because he proved over the years that he was who he said he was. People were baffled at the idea. They thought Mr. Rogers was a character. No, Mr. Rogers was a person. And the person you saw on television was the person you met in person. He proved the kind of neighbor he was. And I want to talk about that today because I think that's what the world is desperately looking for. He's looking for you and I as believers to be who we say we're going to be to act how we say we want to act, to live up to the standard that God has called us to in order to be noticeable and respected in this world. It's one thing to call yourself a neighbor. It's another thing to act like a neighbor. And so we've been in the same scripture in Luke chapter 10, verse 29 through 37. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up. 
this is the story uh, affectionately known as the Good Samaritan, but listen to what the word of the Lord says. It says, but he, this is a, a lawyer who came up to Jesus who was trying to ask him a question, what must one do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus gave him an answer, follow the, the commandments, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. But then it says, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? What you have to understand is within Jewish culture, this was a long known mandate to love thy neighbor. The problem is over time, they, they pigeonholed who a neighbor is and who an enemy is. And so they picked who they got to love. And if you want to look more into that, we talked about that in the last couple of weeks. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to that place, saw him pass by on the other side. Let me pause right there. When he's telling this story, He's talking about a priest or, or like a pastor, if you want to use that vernacular, and a Levite. Levites were the tribe that the royal priesthoods would come out of. So these are two individuals who would have worked in the temple, who the only reason they would have even been on that road is because they were going from Jericho to Jerusalem to work in the temple. And so these are people who not only it would have been obvious for them to help this man, but it would have been expected for these two individuals to help this man. It would be like saying, hey, there was somebody wounded on the road and a paramedic was walking by and then he crossed the street and kept on going most of us would think well I don't care if you're not on duty you have the skill sets and you have signed up to do this and so to a Jewish person here in this story he gets it and now uh, typically in most Jewish stories they have three parts and so now the third person is about to come up and most of them here in this story would assume that Jesus is about to talk about not a priest not a Levite but a common Jew just a regular Jew like you and I. But Jesus being Jesus, he flips the script a little bit. He says, but a Samaritan, which the Jews horribly disliked. They were one peg right before Gentiles. They were considered half-breeds. They were part Jewish people who had intermarried with people from Samaria. Their religion was slightly skewed from Judaism. They, they had gone in some different ways. They were actually racially despised by the Jewish people. So the fact that he was saying a Samaritan, this is like, dude, we don't like them. We don't associate with them. But nonetheless, he says a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Now here's what I need us to look at. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy, and Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Which of them proved? Like in his mind, it would have been obvious or it would have been likely that the priest and the Levite would have been the ones who showed mercy. And it, you kind of get the sense that this lawyer doesn't even like the fact that it was the Samaritan. Because when Jesus asked the question, now who do you say proved was the neighbor? He doesn't say the Samaritan. What does he say? The guy who showed mercy. 
So I'm not even gonna say who it was because I don't like the fact that you're bringing this up, but the truth is, it wasn't the people we thought it should be. See, this world, when it's looking for its neighbors, is it you or is it the people that we supposedly despise? Are we acting like neighbors or is it the unbelievers, the sinners, the heathens that are more neighborly and loving than the Christians are? See, if you're a believer this morning, you need to understand what it takes to actually be a neighbor. And if you're an unbeliever, I want you to understand how we're supposed to be and not maybe how you've been treated in the past by people. Because if you're taking notes, there's a few things I think that are important when it comes to the story. And the first one is this, a proven neighbor are more than their titles. Proven neighbors are more than their titles. Think about it. One had the title of priest. One had the title of a Levite. The other one had Samaritan, or in some translations, a despised Samaritan. But we are so much more than our titles. Oftentimes, and we've said this in the past, people will come up to me, particularly as a pastor or any pastor on staff, and they'll look for prayer from you, not knowing that there are people in this room who pray far better than anyone on our staff. Because it's not like suddenly you become a pastor and you become a greater prayer than everybody else in the room. Prayer is something that comes to practice and anointing. Like, that is just something that God puts on people. Some people just have an incredible gift of prayer. And we have phenomenal prayer warriors in this church. Apparently, a lot of them are women because my wife's been coming home from the Bible study at like 11 o'clock at night on Fridays. <laughs> apparently, I didn't know on schedule there was a prayer meeting after the Bible study. I thought that was Wednesday, but apparently it's, it's Friday as well. But I ain't, gonna, I ain't mad at you. I'm just like, let me... We got kids. Let me tuck them in. <laughs> so, so we, we, we got to understand, like, it doesn't matter what the title is if you're not living up to it, if you're not acting like it, because actions speak louder than words, right? The priest and the Levite, think about this. They were going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem was on a hill. Jerusalem is where the temple was. Jericho is where they lived. So they're going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, which says what? They were leaving their duties that they had completed at the temple. Or in other words, they had just left worshiping and ministering to God, and yet they missed this opportunity right here. Listen, some of us, our salvation only lasts as long as we go from our seat to our car. And halfway out the parking lot, you cursing somebody out under your breath. You mad at our poor parking lot attendants? Like, they out there, rain, sleet, or snow. We're lucky today, but in a few months when they're in a blizzard and you're angry because they don't let you park in that spot, that's not acting neighborly. Listen, we got to be able to act like neighbors, not just say that we're neighbors. They had titles that meant a great deal on paper, but weren't being fulfilled when it mattered. They weren't doing what God called them to do and living the way God called them to live. And here's the deal. Be careful with your title. Because a lot of times we reach certain titles and we forget who we're called to be and we start thinking we're that. Here's a great example of that from Jesus in John chapter 13. Jesus is having supper with his disciples. And the Bible says in verse 4, he rose from supper 
laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, for context's sake, you need to understand, these aren't like half-dirty feet. People walk around in sandals everywhere in the desert. These are like Flintstone feet. These are jacked up, dirty, filthy feet. And because of that, it was customary that the lowest servant in the household was given that duty. The, the one with the least seniority, the one who couldn't say anything to anybody. This was a job for the least of the least of the least. And yet Jesus stands up to do this job. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. In other words, I'm not going to let you lower yourself to that kind of standard. Jesus answered him, if you, I do not wash you, you have uh, no share with me. Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. <laughs> In other words, if that's what you say, God. And then a few verses later, verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also follow. Do just as I have done to you. You have been given titles as children of the Most High, princes and princesses of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, a chosen royal priesthood. That does not disqualify you from lowering yourself down to wash the feet of a sinner. That doesn't make you better than anybody else on this planet. That just makes you saved and redeemed. But we are just as filthy. We are just as wrong. We were all once lost and saved by grace. And I think sometimes over the course of our salvation, over the course of our Christianity, we somehow forget that we were just as bad. Listen, in 13 years of youth ministry, I got that lesson a lot because there were so many times where I'd get mad at a teenager and I'd go, whoa, wait, they are like a billion times better than I was at that age. How am I going to get down on them when nobody did that to me? And, and again, we, we do that oftentimes when we think about the next generation or when we think about unbelievers. You act as if you were born perfect, like you were born in a manger. <laughs> but the truth is, we were all sinners. So none of us should be above wrapping a towel around our waist and lowering ourselves in order to reach somebody, in order to connect with somebody, in order to say, hey, I want to have a relationship with you. We can't wait till they get redeemed, saved, washed, and climb up to where we are in our castle in order to have a relationship with them because that's not very neighborly. The second thing I noticed if you watch the story, the Bible says for the first two guys, the priest was walking down, he saw the man, and he went to the other side. Then the Levite came, he saw the man, and he went to the other side. And then the Samaritan came, he saw the man, and he went to him. Proven neighbors move towards people, not away from people. One moved towards the man, two moved away from the man. Again, this is a generalization, but this is something that I believe is important to have a heart check with us 
Are you isolating yourself from unbelievers or are you moving towards them? Now, this is a balance, I think, that some people struggle with. Because yes, the Bible has called us to be set apart. God has called us to be holy, but God did not call us to be isolated. God did not call us to have no association. How can you win someone to the Lord that you have no relationship with? And so I'm not saying do what they do, but sometimes we got to be where they're at. Sometimes we got to go out of our way to have that relationship. I was just talking to one of our brothers this past week, and, and I know we're having our fall fest, and for many people, that could be an area of contention, especially if you're like me, where you grew up and you were taught, you don't do that, you don't go get trick-or-treating. I remember as a kid just staring at the window going, dang, that snicker look good, though. <laughs> right? Some of us are in there. And, and, and because you grew up learning that, a lot of times it's hard to break that. It's hard to understand, but, but here's my heart, and here's what I want you to understand. As believers, we're not going to close up shop because it's the devil's day. My Bible doesn't say he gets a day. All right, it's not his birthday. We don't, we're not going to celebrate. My Bible says this is the day that the Lord has made. I'll rejoice and be glad in it. Now, again, don't get me wrong. That ain't an excuse for you to wear some nasty little sexy outfit and go to the company party. We ain't talking about that. That's different. Okay, I'm not saying, you know, go do like rituals and we're not, obviously we don't do witchcraft and we don't do any of that, obviously. But if your kid wants to dress up like Iron Man, all right. Like, you know, you don't have to go out of your way with stuff like that. And, and again, listen, I'm not, if that's your conviction, I'm not going to tell you how to parent. I'm not going to tell you what you need to do. But as your pastor, I need you to understand what you're essentially doing when you turn off all the lights and pretend like nobody's home so trick-or-treaters don't knock on your door is you're shutting yourself off from an opportunity. My wife grew up loving Halloween. We've been praying for her for a while. And um, (laughs) it was like her favorite holiday. And I would always mess with her about it. I'm like, we don't celebrate Halloween in my house. She's like, oh, I'm sorry, Fall Fest. I'm like, no, listen. (laughs) Shut up, okay? We don't. But you know what I would love is what my wife would do. She didn't just hand out candy. She would spend hours sitting down writing these little cards with Bible verses and prayers on them and blessings. And every kid, yeah, they got a little mini Snickers. We couldn't afford Kingside. We ain't that family. They got a little mini Snickers, but they got a prayer with it. And they got scripture with it. Because here's my theme. You're going to come to my house, you're going to get candy and Jesus. You're knocking on my door, okay? I'm going to open up. And say, here's my opportunity. So that's the thing. This is why we're doing Fall Fest. This is an opportunity to get hundreds of people that would never walk through the doors, but will go to the parking lot. And if I can connect with you in the parking lot, maybe one day I can get you not just through the doors, but in the kingdom. It's an opportunity to reach out. So we need to understand we can't close ourselves off from the world. We can't move away from them because it looks dangerous or because they look like they're hurt. Like these two guys, I'm sure they had a lot of excuses, the priest and the Levite. I'm sure they thought, well, he might be dead and, you know, we're not allowed to touch dead things. Or, you know, I can't get my garments dirty because, you know, this is holy and I can't be around something like that. Or or maybe he deserved it. This was a, a really messed up road. You shouldn't have been going down it on your own. And we start saying things like that. And we start acting like that. Instead of being loving, instead of being a neighbor, well, that country deserved it, or that group of people had that coming. Why do they act like that? And we start saying things that aren't what God would say. They're what the rest of the world says. See, God has called us to move towards people, not away from them. Let me give you another example of that in the book of Mark, chapter 2, verse 15. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, who later on becomes Matthew, 
the author of the book of Matthew, one of his disciples, it says, while he was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and his disciples. Again, for context's sake, a tax collector was a very despised individual because the Jewish people were under Roman rule. There was usually a Jewish person appointed by the Romans to collect taxes on the Romans' behalf. And what that tax collector would almost always do was skim off the top and rob his own people to pay the people that were enslaving them. So they were horribly despised. And yet, here is Jesus. Jesus at a tax collector's house, eating with other tax collectors and sinners, right? For there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciple, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, and I love the term righteous because he's pointing out, because we already know what the word says about our righteousness, that we have none, that our righteousness is nowhere near the level required in order to have holiness and be in right standing with God. None of us is truly righteous in and of ourselves. So he's kind of doing a double turn here. He's saying, oh, I'm sorry, I'm here for the sick, not the righteous like you, not the perfect people like you, as if you forgot that you too required my grace and my mercy. Again, don't, don't take this as a passage. Oh, he said, I can do all types of stuff. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is not an excuse to sin. But sometimes we can be so heavenly minded that we end up being no earthly good. And on the opposite end, you're so earthly good that you're not heavenly minded. See, God has called us to be in the world, just not of the world. In other words, while we're here, while we're passing through, we have a responsibility not to become like them, but to have a relationship so that when we get to where we're trying to go, we got as many people going with us as possible. That's what a proven neighbor is. And then the third thing, if you're taking notes, is I believe proven neighbors are moved by compassion. The first two move to the other side out of fear, out of lack of empathy, out of a lack of love. The Samaritan, you got to think about this. He sees a Jewish man on the floor. Very easily could have said, he got what he deserved. They don't like us. We don't like them. Why would I help this guy? He wouldn't help me. He wouldn't stop if I was lying dead on the road. So why should I go and try to help him? And yet the Bible is very clear. When he saw him, he had compassion on him and he moved towards him. The only way you're going to be an accurate and proven neighbor is if you learn to have compassion for those around you, to have love for them, to be willing to go out of your way to do something. Now, don't get me wrong. I, sometimes I read this and I'm like, man, do I have to stop every time I see somebody or, or do I have to? And listen, the Samaritan helped this man. He didn't set up a hospital on the road for all future people that were gonna get injured. But there was an opportunity that God had placed before him and he recognized this is my opportunity to help and so I'm gonna help. What kind of compassion do you have? Or has your compassion been dulled already? Have you become desensitized to the pain that's going on? And I get that. When you're bombarded with that on social media and the news and it's one story after another to the point where you're not shocked anymore, not only are you not surprised, but also you're not moved anymore because this is like the billionth time I've heard that. But listen, let me give you one more story. In Mark chapter one, verse 40 through 42, 
It says a man with leprosy, leprosy was a skin deteriorating disease where your flesh would literally be rotting away. A leper would be removed from all community because it was highly infectious. They were isolated, basically left out on their own to rot away and die. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you are willing, you can heal me and make me clean. He said, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. Instantly, the leprosy disappeared and the man was healed. Other translations say the man was full of leprosy. In order to help you understand, this wasn't like he just got it. He was rotting away. This was not just horribly infectious, but very disturbing to even see. But I want you to see what compassion does. Jesus is Lord. Jesus could have just said, you are healed, and the leprosy would have been gone. But what does he do? He touches him. He touched a highly infectious individual. Something that was not just uh, wrong on a social level, on a medical level, but even on a spiritual context, you don't touch unclean things. Because in their mind, when you would touch an unclean thing, the uncleanliness would then attach to you. But Jesus being Lord, it's his righteousness that would attach to the things that were unclean. It's his cleanliness that would clean things that are unclean. He was willing to touch. Some of us, we don't have enough compassion to reach out anymore to people, to offer something. Listen, and it doesn't have to be the, the greatest of things. and doesn't have to be everybody. Again, just talking about it. Jesus could have in that moment, had he chose to, just said all leprosy be gone and all leprosy on the planet would have been gone. But it was the individual that he was looking at. It was the need of the person, not the disease in and of itself. Sometimes all we see is the disease. We don't see the individual. Churches, God given you opportunities in the workplace and at your schools and in your neighborhood to reach out and touch somebody. Somebody that maybe hasn't had affection in a long time. Somebody who hasn't felt loved or even even been told that they're loved. Do you have compassion for the person that's failed 14, 15, 20 times? And you're just sitting here going, you're never going to get it. I'm all out of love for you. I read a statement one time that said homeless people aren't homeless because they ran out of money. They're homeless because they ran out of relationships. Compassion runs dry. And I, again, I get it. I'm not trying to judge you on any of these things. I'm trying to help you understand what motivates God's people. It's compassion. Worship team, if you can help me out. I was reading all these things and, and just studying, and as I was going through it, the Lord reminded me of something I had uh, saw going back to Mr. Rogers, actually. In the 1960s, some of you might be old enough to remember this time, racial tensions uh, were very, very heavy, um, in part with the effects of uh, Jim Crow laws that had gone on for such a long time, and um, a number of issues, obviously, that went on during this era. And one such example came at the despise of African Americans using public pools. And it got to a point where on several newsreels, one in particular I remember watching, where a hotel manager brought all his cleaning products, bleach and chlorine and things like that, and began to pour it in the pool while black patrons were in there swimming in order to try to get them out. It was a very disturbing 
time. It was a very disturbing era, and the hatred was vitriol and horrible. Fred Rogers saw this and thought, how ridiculous is that? See, his actually mother and father fostered a number of colored and black and brown and minorities. So this wasn't something that he just had an epiphany of. He always loved people of all backgrounds and of all places. And so when he saw how ridiculous this was, in 1969, shortly after one of those incidents, he decided to film a segment on his show where one of the police officers, Officer Clemens, a black man, was invited to join Fred Rogers and soaking his feet in a pool with him. Guys, you have a picture of that? It's interesting if you kind of read and watch the documentaries that they have on this. Uh, Officer Clemens, the actor, at first didn't want to be a part of the show. He had a music career. He was an opera singer. And uh, even more, didn't want to be a police officer because he said in his words, where he grew up, police officers weren't kind people. And if you can imagine in the 60s, I'm sure that was even more accurate. But nonetheless, Fred Rogers convinced him to be a police officer, I think in part to try to change that narrative. And uh, jokingly, the actor would say, well, I'll only do it temporarily while my music career kicks off. 25 years later, he said Fred Rogers would always tease him, how's that music career going? But he invited him out to wash his feet and he shared a towel with him. This is a powerful statement. Not just because of the pool incidents, but this happened in 1969, one year after Martin Luther King's assassination. This is public television demonstrating in real terms what Jesus demonstrated to his disciples. The washing of someone's feet. See, Mr. Rogers was very famous for a particular saying on his show, more than won't you be my neighbor. His most famous saying, I would argue, is I love you just the way you are. I love you just the way you are. That's a hard statement for a lot of Christians, I think. Because immediately when we hear that, we go, well, what about this? And, and we're supposed to love that. And no, we're supposed to call this out. And we're supposed to say that's a sin. And we're no, no, no. But you know, I don't know if Mr. Rogers is wrong. I don't think he is. Because God called us to love people. Not love them after they got saved and after they got clean. But to love them just the way they are. How do I know that? Well, Jesus loved the leper before he took away his leprosy, didn't he? Jesus loved Matthew, or Levi as he was named, and those sinners before they repented. Jesus loved his disciples, and he washed their feet. Every one of his disciples' feet, including Judas, who Jesus already knew was going to betray him. But he washed his feet. If Jesus loved a leper, a thief, and his betrayer, just the way they were. What does that mean that you and I can make an excuse that we shouldn't? Loving them doesn't condone their sins. Quite the opposite, I think. Loving them helps them lead to repentance. 
I'm not saying people shouldn't have their sin convicted, and I'm not saying that, that God is not going to redeem them, but I'm just saying that's not your job. Our responsibility as the people of God is not to be bouncers at the door making sure that only holy people walk in. That's God's job. God is the one who makes sinners holy, and he does it not through his anger and vengeance and the threat of hell, but through his kindness. And I'm not talking out my neck. Listen, Romans chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now, we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. Again, God will judge sin. Don't misunderstand that. We know that God's judgment against those, but it's God's judgment, it's not mine, is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, meaning you're not God, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. It's his kindness. It's his kindness. Like We have to love our neighbor. We have to be kind to our neighbor. I know they're sinning. I know they're on drugs. I know they're hurting people. I know they're not where they need to be. I know they're living with people that they're not married to. I know that they're having same-sex relationships. They're not hiding it anymore, guys. There is no more shame in this world. They're, they're not afraid of their sin. But they shouldn't be afraid of my love either. And so my job is to love someone long enough for them to hear what God has been speaking to them no matter how long that takes because they can only come to Jesus through the Father, right? The Father draws them and the Holy Spirit seals them and the penalty that Christ paid on the cross is what pays for their salvation. Notice none of those things come from me or from you. We are just messengers of that beautiful gospel. I love you just the way you are. That's my job, and I try to keep that job. Many years later, Officer Clemens was filming a documentary on Mr. Rogers' life, and they were interviewing him about this particular episode. And I want you to notice something he said in that interview. Guys, if you could play that video. Fine. My feet were tired, so I thought I'd just soak them for a while in this water. Does it make them feel better? It does. Would you like to try? Sure. On the show, he would say, I love you just the way you are. One day, I said, Fred, were you talking to me? And he looked at me and he said, yes. I've been talking to you for two years, and you finally heard me today. And I just collapsed into his arms. I, was, I started crying. I, that's when I knew that I loved him. There are many ways to say I love you. There are many ways to say I care about you. No man had ever told me that he loved me like that. I needed to hear it all my life. My dad never told me. My stepfather never told me. So 
from then on, he became my surrogate father. I'm so proud of you, Francois. Oh, thank you, Fred. Thank Can I you. help you here? Thank you. Fred, are you talking to me? Yes. I've been talking to you for two years, and you finally heard me today. And I just believe that God's been speaking to some of you in this room for a long time. And maybe this morning is the first time you're finally hearing him. What you've done in your past has no bearing on what God wants to do in your future. The sins you've committed, the issues you've had, the pain that's been inflicted on you or maybe you on someone else. God loves you just the way you are. Matter of fact, he loves you so much that he's unwilling to leave you in that state. He'll pick you up. He'll dust you off. But remember, scriptures say that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for you to become perfect to make you whole. His perfection is what makes us whole. So I'm going to ask you to stand, church, if you can, please. And now is my opportunity to be your neighbor. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just listen to my voice for just a moment? I believe the Lord is saying today, sir, ma'am, daughter, son, I love you just the way you are. You're not too dirty for me. You're not too gone for me. You're not too unfamiliar to me. I love you just the way you are, so much so that long before you were ever born, I gave my life on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins so that you and I can have a relationship not just so you can go to heaven, but so that you can go to me, says the Lord. I love you just the way you are. And all I need from you this morning is to respond to that love. The Bible is very clear that if you've never had a relationship with Jesus Christ, but you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, then you are saved you don't got to go through hoops. You don't got to get a bunch of college courses. You don't got to be a Christian for a certain amount of time. Your salvation is already at the doorstep. You just got to open it and bring it in. And God will never force himself upon you. It's a choice you make freely and of your own will. So here's your opportunity to do so. With every head bowed and every eye closed, don't worry about anybody else in this room. This is a decision that you need to make for you. Sir, ma'am, if you believe that God loves you just the way you are, if you believe that Christ died on the cross so that you would receive a wonderful gift of salvation, of knowing that for all eternity I will be loved by the one who loved me first, I want to give you an opportunity to accept that gift by simply lifting up your hand and allowing me to walk you through a prayer. If that's you, would you just go ahead and do that right now? 
Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. No one else is looking around. It's between you and God. If that's you, just lift up your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Anyone else say, that's me, pastor. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. One more moment for that person that's hesitating. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. Don't put off for tomorrow. You may not have tomorrow. Make a decision today. You already know what you want. You already know what you need. You just got to be willing to say yes. One more moment, and then we'll pray. If there's anyone else, just lift up your hand, and I'll include you in that prayer. Thank you. Church, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer along with me, everyone in this room, so that no one feels out of place. There's no magic in the words. The Bible says it's all in faith. You can say these words and not mean it. You cannot vocalize these words out loud and still mean it. With every person in this room, as we add this number to God's beautiful list, would you pray with me this prayer? Let's repeat after me. Say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know I don't deserve this. But I'm so grateful, God, that you love me just the way I am. And you love me so much that you won't leave me how I am. That you'll draw me close. That you'll make me yours. And that you'll make me clean. So I ask you, God, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life and be my Savior. I pray this all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Come on, would you give a hand clap of praise for all those? Amen. Listen to me, church. If you made that prayer today, would you do me a favor? And I'm going to ask some of the pastors and some of the uh, deacons and leaders, if you would just come up to the front. If you made that prayer, would you come and just shake our hand? We'd just love to say thank you and maybe answer any questions that you might have about that decision. Uh, but for everybody else, church, this is a wonderful reminder that your kindness and your love is what's gonna transform everything else around you. Be the neighbor that God called you to be and be moved by compassion, be moved towards people, and don't worry about your title, worry about the fact that they don't have one yet. And God has called us to be a part of that process. Amen? God bless you. We love you. We'll see you on Wednesday night.